I was running a little faster than I should have. I was getting ready to introduce Fritz. <laughs> it is a great privilege and a, a great blessing. As we in, a, in the presbytery, within the, the uh, presbytery that we are connected with, uh, we have an opportunity and a real blessing to reach out to the, to the campuses uh, in our area. And one of the, the great privileges is uh, reaching out to places where we haven't gone before, where God is leading us. And in Bowling Green, Kentucky, there's not only, uh, as Fritz involved with the RUF at Western Kentucky there, but also Grace and Peace Fellowship. Uh, Howard, or excuse me, uh, I'm, I just went blank. But anyway, Brian Howard and uh, his family are up there. And just a wonderful, sweet ministry. And it is wonderful to, to not only see Fritz, but to also have him come and visit and to uh, to hear him uh, proclaim God's word to us this morning. Fritz? One of the uh, privileges that I have um, being an outsider to churches and coming in is... Um, I get to see what God is doing. You see it probably in a normal, mundane, this is, this is us, this is our community. But I get to jump in, and I probably don't see all the messy stuff. I understand that. But it is always a privilege to come and be a part of this church. And the heart of the gospel that is led with here and the love and support that you guys have for your missionaries, I thank you for it. It is truly um, a privilege. And um, if you will turn to Second Samuel chapter 6, If you're new to your Bibles, uh, 2 Samuel is in the Old Testament. It's about, oh, I don't know, a tenth of the way through the Bible. We're going to be looking at a passage this morning that I would never have put in the Bible if I were going to make up a religion. And as we read it, I think you will agree. So if you are not a Christian and you are here, we're glad you're here. And if you're peeking in on the faith, I hope that the brutal honesty of this sort of passage will at least startle you to think and to consider that this may be true. Um, 2 Samuel chapter 6, we're going to read the whole chapter. David again brought together out of Israel chosen men, 30,000 in all. He and all his men set out from Bala of Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim that are on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. 
Aren't you glad for the name that you have? David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord. You can imagine this. This is like 30,000 people. This is the Music City Marathon. That, that number of people. This is a festival downtown Clarksville with songs and with harps, lyres, tambourines, cisterns, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah, which means outbreak against Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months, and the Lord blessed him in his entire household. Now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all his might, while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of the slave girls of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Roger, as I pray, could I ask you to go get me a cup of water, please? I finished mine and I'm... 
out of trouble. Thank you. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for the glorious privilege of having our sanity restored. Thank You for calling us to a day of rest, a day of remembrance, a day of worship, a day that we need, O oh God, in our hearts and souls. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the Gospel. We pray that the Gospel would seek uh, out of the Word this morning and into our hearts and minds and souls. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. I will recover now by telling you an illustration that my wife said you probably shouldn't tell. I, I actually, I'll just allude to it. But if you're a, if you're not a parent, you may remember this as a child with scarred memories. But if you are a parent, there has come a time in your life when your children have opened the door and you're either getting dressed or changing clothes or something and, and, they see basically all your glory. And that happens in our house pretty regularly now because we're in a rental house. You can pray that we would find a house. Um, but our door, our, our room shouldn't be a master bedroom. It's kind of the thoroughfare and it has two doors and they have these little hook locks that don't work that well. And so I found myself several times having my children whoop, burst open. And I'm going, don't you guys understand what the door is for? Um, but there's the sense of when that sort of thing happens, when you are exposed, you're exposed. All of you is exposed. And one of the things that we're going to see in this passage is that when the gospel gets into your life, you're exposed. You're naked. All of your glory. Uh, one of the things that we've done in our church plant, and thank you for supporting us and praying for us, we are still there. We haven't folded yet. We're very excited about that. They haven't kicked us out of Bowling Green. Um, one of the things that we do in our order of worship, sometimes we do for our statement of faith, Apostles' Creed, or confessions and so forth. But one thing that we do is we let people give testimony. Not just conversion, but what God is doing in your life. And we have a young couple that have moved from Indiana just to be a part of our church plant. And this gentleman stood up, he just finished college, and he, he gave testimony and he said, you know, all my life I've been trying to do this, this, and this. And I went to school for this. And I come out of school and all my friends that studied engineering, well now they're engineers and they're making this much money. And friends are going on to law school or some are going into the ministry, and they're all getting these titles in these, these great circumstances. And he said, and I moved to Bowling Green, Kentucky. My wife is working at Starbucks. I don't have a job, and I'm trying to substitute teach with a college education. How can a person like that stand up and expose himself like that? How can someone bear their soul? And, and what we're going to see this morning is the gospel begins to get into you. It makes you undignified. It allows you the freedom 
from worry. It allows you the freedom from the junior high feeling of what do other people think about me. Remember your first pimple, right? And let me just begin by asking a couple questions to get at this. Why are you such a private person? Why are you trying so hard to hide your baggage? Why don't you get counsel about that? Why are you defensive? I thought about this, not just ladies, but men. Why do we, why do we wear makeup? What does makeup do? It hides our deficiencies. It hides the, the things that we don't want to bear. For example, I have a dandruff issue. So I used the heavy dandruff shampoo this morning, right? But you know what it does? It stinks. I don't know what that chemical is, but it stinks. And I didn't want to come here and make everybody leave, so what did I do? I put conditioner on top, then I got out and I put leave-in conditioner on top so it didn't stay, cut the stink. And that's a lot of what we do in our lives. We try to cut the stink. Why is it that we're so bound to what other Christians even think about us? Sometimes the gospel calls us to go against even how other Christians would perceive us or family or friends. Where's this freedom going to come from? Where is this freedom to be exposed going to come from? Only in the gospel. And if you think about it, Christianity is the only religion that really offers this kind of freedom. The gospel brings the freedom. Two things I want to look at this morning as we see this. The gospel, first of all, brings freedom by changing our minds. Verses 1 through 15. By changing our understanding about God and about us. My five-year-old was gloating the other day that other kids in his class, there's a four-year-old in his class, and he said, you know, he calls, and I've probably told you this before, but he calls Darth Vader, Dark Vader. He doesn't know that it's really dark. And what I wanted to tell him, when you were four, you used to call him Dark Vader too. But see, he's grown in knowledge. Now he's boasting about it, but he's just like his dad. But the gospel begins to change our understanding. It takes us from here to here about God. And the first thing that it does in our understanding and in our minds is it shows us that God is an outbreak God. He is an outbreak God. In other words, He's a holy God. He's holier even than most conservatives want Him to be. Look at the context. God has been away for a long time, so to speak. The ark, the presence of God has been gone from Israel. God's coming home. Of course, this is a great celebration. This is, a, this is, they're throwing a party. There are 30,000 people there. There's dancing. There's rejoicing. Everything seems good on every front. Okay, we're going to be blessed again. It says literally in verse 5, and I love this, they were dancing with all their might before the Lord. I mean, you couldn't have, you couldn't have had a better picture. This would be like going to the greatest Christian music festival and everything just being right with the world, right? And then what happens? Oops. The cart stumbles. The ark begins to fall. And Uzzah, like any responsible American, 
puts out his hand to stop it. And what happens? It says literally, the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. God struck him down and he died. God's anger burned. It literally says this, the Lord broke out with an outbreak against Uzzah. So they call that place outbreak against Uzzah. Here's the question, or one of the questions. What would you do if you were Uzzah? Wouldn't you have tried to stop the ark? It seems like that's the exact thing he should have done. I had this Bible study with, with a, a group of non-Christians a couple weeks ago, and we went through this text, and they're like, of course, man, it's going to fall in the mud. Of course you stop the ark, right? You can see why in verse 8, David is angry. Again, if I were not a Christian and I were looking at Christianity, this would actually draw me toward it. Because if I were going to write a, a religious book, I would not show that like the biggest guy in the Old Testament got angry at God. Pretty, pretty realistic, isn't it? David is angry. And see, what's the problem with David's anger? What's the problem even with the way we're startled about this text? And you should be startled about, about this text. The problem with our anger is this. God was right in what He did. The outbreak was fair. God had said in several places to protect His people from His holiness, there was a particular way you handled the ark and there was a particular way you did not handle the ark. See, the real problem is what would we do if we were Uzzah? we would touch the ark. See, that's the real problem. We would touch the ark because by nature, we are disobeyers. As hard as that is to get. The bigger problem here is that we are disobeyers even, get this, even when it seems that we are being religious and helpful. That's hard to stomach. Again, if I were creating this religion, I wouldn't put this in there. The bigger problem is God is holy. We are not. And we deserve an outbreak. And sometimes we see in Scripture that God pulls back the veil to show us what we actually deserve. That even conservatives don't want this kind of God. Because you know what this would mean? That even the conservatives would get an outbreak. The biggest problem here is we deserve what Uzzah got. You see this scar? My Harry Potter scar? I don't like it. I try to cover it up. I use vitamin E oil but I deserved it. How many times have I been taught how to shoot 
a gun. How many stories have I been told about what a scope can do? How humiliating is it to stand up here and tell you how I did it? At least it was a muzzle loader, and I just forgot how much it kicked. And dead gum, and I put a patch on it, and I finished sighting it in because I was so mad. I got four stitches. But I felt like a man that day. An angry man. But here's the point. I was pretty mad that day because I couldn't get anybody to go with me. I was pretty mad because it was getting dark and I was running out of time and I was just having a frustrated beginning to my hunting season. And I was pretty angry when I had to sit two hours in the ER. And you know what? I deserved every second of it. It was my fault. And what we have to see in the Gospel is that we do deserve an outbreak. I sat on a plane for nine hours with a lady coming back from Amsterdam. At Amsterdam, She was going to her 10th Janet Jackson concert. She was very tall and wide. And you know how you're in that moment when you're thinking, I need to be witnessing to this lady. I hadn't slept. I, I'd been in Greece all week. I'd slept probably eight hours all week. I was so tired. I was in the very back corner seat of the plane. I'm claustrophobic. I was dying. I wouldn't even talk to her. And I had bad breath. See, what you have to understand is that the Gospel changes our minds to see the truth about God and about what we're really like. God is holy, we are not. And yet what David also sees here, look at verses 10 through 11, is that God is good. Because what happens, he sends the, at our Bible study, they were calling him, they were, they didn't like all these names, so they, they, they dubbed him O.E. the Gittite. They send the ark to somebody else's house because David thinks, well, if God is holy, I can't be near him. I can't be close to him. I gotta get away from God. This isn't working. And what he sees is that God's holiness is a part of His goodness. See, he thinks a holy God can't be a good God. And what happens when the ark goes to Obed's house? It begins to bless his whole household. And what that literally means is, not that his quiet times got better, what it really means is his bills were lower, his salary went up, and all his friends liked him. That's what it means. He had prosperity. Things started going well because the ark was at his house. Because God was at his house. David thinks, I had it wrong. I thought God was holy and couldn't be good. And now he's saying, wait, wait, wait. God's holiness and goodness go together. It's the exact contrast that was painted. God's mercy, God's holiness. God's holiness doesn't negate His goodness. And you see, some of you want God to just be an outbreak God. Woe is me. He's going to get me. I deserve this. You're pessimistic, bitter, cynical. Just follow me around for two weeks of deer season. Didn't see anything today. 
Or some of us just want a good God who's never holy. God's goodness and God's holiness. What is David's response to this? Look at verses 12 through 15. David says, I got to get that God back. He goes to Obed Edom's house and he brings the ark back with lots of celebration, including some regulations. And he says, I've got to get God back. See, the gospel changes our minds. And look what it does as a response of this kind of God. It begins to change our hearts. What changes in David? Everything. Look at verse 16. He starts what? Leaping and dancing. Verse, verse 18, what happens? He worships. Verse 19, what does he do? He gives away these raisin cake things. I don't know what they were. But he starts giving them away. And he's not just giving them in a chauvinist, just the guys get them. He gives them to the women. He just wants to give things away. And look at verse 20. He dances in front of not just the slave girls, but get this, these servants were servants of the servants. They were the most undignified, lowest of the low people in society. I saw a guy riding a purple Roadmaster bike this morning. And I thought, I'd never ride a purple Roadmaster bicycle. And that man was from another country and probably could care less what I thought of him. And I thought, Wow. David's hanging out with those in the culture that people turn away from, they look down on, they never get a break. And here's the beautiful part. He doesn't care what other people think. The other kingdom that cares what other people think in verses 20 through 22 is represented through Michael, Saul's daughter. The kingdom God has rejected. What are you doing? You're taking off your clothes. You're getting naked. You're being exposed. You're dancing. Not just in front of religious people. You're dancing in front of the slaves of the slave girls. You're rubbing shoulders with the poor. And you're putting yourself on an equal footing with them by disrobing. You're becoming un. Dignified. You're standing up in front of people and saying, my wife works at Starbucks, I don't have a job, and I'm so glad to be here. That's what you're doing. You're going before people, your pastor, and you're saying, my spouse and I are fighting. And it's ugly. Or I'm having this issue with my children. Or I'm really mad at God that my kid didn't make the team. And I don't know what to do with it. I'm about to lose my job. I'm bitter as all get out. 
because I don't like how things are. How does this happen? See, the gospel changes our understanding about God, but it begins to change our hearts. What happened when Jesus was before people? Not the people that rejected Him or didn't get it, but what about the people that did? Think about Bartimaeus. Be quiet, Bartimaeus. He didn't, he didn't care about you. I could care less what you think. It's Jesus. Son of God, have mercy on me. Be quiet, be quiet. Bartimaeus could care less what people think about him. What happens when he goes to Zacchaeus? Side note, funniest moment in Bible study history at Western Kentucky. We're doing Zacchaeus with a bunch of kids that don't know the Bible. And I said, why do you think Jesus went up to him and said, come on Zacchaeus, get down from that, that tree. And one guy, his second time ever, he goes, I, I guess he's afraid Zacchaeus was going to get hurt. I'm just glad you're at this Bible study, buddy. Anyway, why does Zacchaeus just give, give, give away? Because his heart's been changed. Because God came to him. Why does a prostitute weep? Why does a, why does a widow dance? Because they realize that this God they didn't think could come to them came to them. They realize that this God that they should be separate from is near them. Let me just ask you. I can remember even hearing the music this morning. Four or five years ago, I just couldn't stand singing. Isn't that hard? I mean, just I just hate even to admit it because you won't let me preach in Richard's place again. But I didn't like corporate singing at all. I didn't like corporate worship. Like I was so confused on what are we supposed to be doing? Am I supposed to be getting a, a, an emotional high from this? I don't. I never felt like I was measuring up. I don't sing well. My voice always, you know, I just didn't like the singing. And I realized it was none of those external things. It was my heart. And I just began to pray, God, do something to change my heart. And it has been so good to be a part of this church plant because God has just done something through the singing. And I actually love to sing again. You know, what is it about your heart? Are you greedy? Stingy? Is worship stale to you? Do you only spend time with people that are dignified? Are you too concerned with what others think if they really saw what you were like? How are you going to be changed? See, it's only in the Gospel. Because in the Gospel you have a holy and good God that is so holy and so good that through the work of the Gospel, He now thinks well of you. Think about it like this. If you think of God only as an outbreak God, you have a God that is stingy with His goodness. And therefore, that's how you are. If you have a God that isn't holy at all, that doesn't do something with His wrath because of His love, 
then you're just going to be stuck with a pretty wimpy God. And what we actually see in this passage is we see the need that we have and the love that God has. Just think about it for a second. What happens with Jesus? Jesus, who has all the riches of splendor, begins to disrobe himself and become a man. Literally, Philippians says, a servant. And literally on the cross, he is disrobed, exposed, all his glory to be seen in front of the world. Naked. Naked. He doesn't open his mouth. Why? Because it's not an outbreak against Uzzah. It's an outbreak against God. See, God can only say this because God is the one that turns that wrath upon Himself because of His goodness. The outbreak, the outbreak is upon His Son. Let me close just with this little couple questions and, and thought here. What has God done for you? What has God done for the church? God has blessed your household. We deserve an outbreak. And we receive His goodness. Jesus means nothing to you unless you see this. Why do we call, I was telling my son, we were talking about pimples on the way over. And I said, yeah, when I was growing up, I had pimples. And when I was growing up, I listened to NXS. And we call growing up like between what, 8 and 16? Are you growing up in this gospel? Or did you get it? And now you got all your defenses up. Jesus means nothing to you if you don't see this. We deserve an outbreak and we receive all these benefits. Let me pray. Lord, I pray today that I would not have beat anyone up with the law. It's hard for me even to understand how to preach holiness and justice without beating people up. Lord, I pray that Your goodness that comes to Obed's house, that comes to David, that comes to Your people, that creates in us a changed heart would be revived and renewed through this church through the preaching of Your Word. Lord, that it would make us a beautiful people that as we work and play and live with spouses and children and co-workers and neighbors, that, that it would make us such a humble, thankful, celebrating, undignified people that it would seep out of us that it couldn't stop no matter what the daughter of Saul says. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.